Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. I want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People. Ten powerful people lessons from the ultimate people person, my dad. My dad was the greatest encourager that I ever knew, and I want to tell you about him in this book, the things that my dad taught me, stories about his life, stories from my own life, and other relative connecting principles. You can go to Amazon.com and get it in paperback or Kindle. And now, here's another great episode of the Intentional Encourager podcast coming right now. Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now, here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. I have a neat guy on the podcast with me today. And again, um, I say this just about every time because I am I am dumbfounded at the quality of guests that we have here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And the hits just keep on coming. He is a coach. He works with individuals and organizations to move beyond their limitations and unlock their greatness. And hopefully in the next little bit in this conversation, we're going to unlock a lot more greatness out of Jesse Brizendine, who joins me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. You can connect with him on LinkedIn at Jesse Brizendine, and he will tell you other places that you can connect with him, but he joins me today. Jesse, how are you today, my friend? I'm doing well, Brian. It's great to be here with you. Thanks for having me. I want to start with, with something here. I noticed in your LinkedIn profile, and I love this, you said, are you working in a career where on the outside everything looks perfect, but for some reason you still don't feel fulfilled? And and I think a lot of things that, that COVID-19, and you and I were talking before we started recording, a lot of things about this pandemic have exposed those imperfections. What do you say to someone that comes to you and says, I thought I had it all put together until March when a pandemic hit my life and my business, and I realized I have a lot of fatal flaws. What's the first thing that you say to that person when they come to you with that, with that logic and reasoning? I, I usually start, Brian, with asking them what they want. You know, I think one of the gifts that comes from this interesting year is that it's allowing people the opportunity to confront the statistics that we've long allowed to just kind of be statistics and not really put meaning behind them. That 60 to 80% of Americans strongly dislike or hate their jobs. Because I think so many of us for so long, we've done what we thought we were supposed to do, which is you're supposed to go to school maybe go to some more school or get a job. And then once you do that, you get a family, get a marriage, get a house, get a mortgage, you know, get a couple cars and so on and so forth. And unfortunately, I think in the United States, one of the things that we've done expertly well is we've commoditized happiness mm -hmm. and we've made happiness a thing instead of a state of being. With COVID now, it's giving us pause and we realize that we might have those things, yet they're not bringing us what we want. We realize that while this has caused a massive disruption, we're starting to reflect and looking at the next part of our life and asking ourselves that all-important question, what do I really want? Mm -hmm. Is what I've been doing what I really want my life to be about or is it something more? 
Yeah. And Jesse, I'll say this contentment a lot of times is hard for folks to wrap their arms around because the hardest thing that we have to do, and, and I'll say this, the thing that I've had to intentionally resist myself from doing is comparing myself to other people. I've had to intentionally, you know, I'll say, well, yeah, I, I post on LinkedIn and I'll see a friend of mine's post and they get, you know, 100 comments and 3,000 views. And I, I post something that I think is equally as impactful and it gets eight comments and 39 views or whatever. And it's avoiding that comparison. What, what I call, it's avoiding a comparison trap. You're trapping yourself in comparing those things and you're not really looking at contentment. I want to go there. I want to uh, just extrapolate a little more conversation out of that. I love what you said there about it. So what's the best thing that people can do to get themselves to a state of contentment to where they're saying to themselves, things aren't as bad as I thought they were. They were just because someone else around me has this and I don't, I may have something else that they don't have. How do we get to, to contentment in your opinion? And how do you avoid the comparison traps? Yeah, that's a great question, Brian. I, Contentment will elude most of us when we live in a state of comparison, because when we're, compare, we're comparing to others, there's always going to be someone that has something that appears to be more or what we want. There's going to be someone who's inevitably going to be richer, better looking, have a nicer body, have a nicer car. Have well, in my case, it's all of those things. Most, you know, people, yeah. most people are, are richer, they're better looking, they have better bodies than I do. So yeah, you're right. That, yeah, that is... That is 100% accurate, my friend. Yeah, and so, you know, the list can go on and on and on. The, pe the people who have, you know, both you and I are wearing sweatshirts right now as we record this. There's going to be someone that if we were in the comparison game would show up to these in a three-piece suit. And inevitably, if we were putting our value as a human being or as a business or a podcast host or a podcast guest on the clothes we wear, you and I would both be probably feeling pretty poorly about ourselves. Jesse, I am not opposed. You gave me a brilliant idea. I am not opposed to, to a podcast showing up like stepbrothers, like Will Ferrell and John <laughs> C. Riley did for the job interview, wearing tuxedos. I am not opposed to, maybe for the 100th episode, I'll, roll, I'll break out a tuxedo or something like that. Wouldn't that be great? And think about how stepbrothers has become such a part of popular culture, right? It, it just yeah. it took these, it took these kind of stereotypes, turned them on their head and then made it really funny and okay to have these things that just didn't seem to quite fit wearing the tuxedos in the places that you wouldn't think you should wear a tuxedo at. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, I would never wear a tuxedo to a job interview. I, I, you know, I would look nice, but I wouldn't then go. And by the way, I'll be performing after the job interview. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But think of the impression that would make too, right? You would stand out for sure. They would definitely remember you. It's just going to be, how are they going to remember you? Hopefully the tuxedo is something that catches the eye and then it's your personality and your acumen that then really, you know, win them over. But when we go back to that contentment piece, Brian, it, it comes down to, for most of us, it's a values question. It's a values question. What I mean by that is most of us are living in some way, shape or form out of alignment with our values. Easy examples is we go back to that social media post, and I, I wrestle with this every single day. I will put, I have done 
far too many days, far too many hours of my life has been lost going in. Well, I put the, I put this content out and it only got X number of likes, X number of this, and so-and-so got so much more. How is that even possible? Yeah. Well, are my values are my values about being, having the most likes or are my values about making a meaningful impact on someone? That's brilliant. Yeah. Right. And so what happens is with most of us, we would say in conversation, well, my values would be making a meaningful impact on someone, but we're not living in alignment with those values when we're starting to, we're starting to qualify our, our worth and our contribution based on a comparison to someone else, right? We don't know how those, uh, the algorithm and all those things are going to work out. I've actually tested this before where I had a number, I guess, what was this five, six, seven years ago? I had one post that ended up getting like a 2 million person reach or something went fairly viral. I took that exact same post, that exact same copy, the exact same image and posted it one year later at the exact same day and on the exact same time. And it went from, you know, two point something million the previous year to a couple hundred thousand that year. And then I did the same thing for the next two years after that, each time with diminishing return on terms of the actual engagement it brought on. Yeah. So well, that's all to say that in many ways we might be rolling the dice and trying to win the algorithmic lottery that goes around on social media. And anybody who ever has gambled knows there's always risk with that. What yeah. I am much more of a fan of is making a sure bet on yourself. And that's going to be, there's going to be no sure bet than someone who takes action from a place that's in alignment with their values. Because if you do that, you'll always win. Because the metrics then are, did I act in accordance with what is most meaningful to me? Did I act in accordance with where my higher values are? If the answer is yes, while the outcome may not be exactly what you want, you have your personal integrity. You have your a clear alignment with your values and who you are as a human being. Mm-hmm. And you've also clearly separated yourself from some of those more superficial metrics that we often will get caught up in. Well, and, and again, here is the, the thing that, that I, I take away from that statement. And I love what you said there about making, making a sure bet on yourself. So many people put their chips to the table in, in the, they put their chips to the, to the middle of the table, Jesse, in, in what they, they see on the other side of the table. In other words, they'll push their chips all in if they're encouraged to do so. Like, yeah, 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 come on, come on, come on. Most seasoned, and I'm, and I'm not a better, but having studied some of those over the years, most seasoned gamblers, do not care about outside influences. They care about what they see in front of them and what they feel the odds are in their favor and and what is happening in the moment. They don't care about anything else. They let their experience take over and say, okay, well, in my experience, when, when the dealer lays down these sets of cards, I, I've got, I can't, I can't push as many chips to the middle of the table. Does that make sense? I, I tried to, to, to go with, with your analogy there. And I, I love that because if you want to talk about the ultimate risk reward kind of sport or things like that, it's gambling because you, you walk in and the house automatically has the advantage and your number one goal is you've got to try to beat the house. Yeah, I agree, Ryan. I, I think it's, Anybody who excels at something, you will hear time and time again when asked, 
how much do you allow the opinions, outside opinions of others to influence what you do? And as they grow and scale and their, their, their accomplishments, you'll see they diminish in terms of what they take in from the outside. If, if every single quarterback in the NFL listened to all the millions of Sunday morning quarterbacks who are sitting at home eating their Doritos, drinking their beers while critiquing their game about how what they should be doing and how they should be improving, you would likely see some pretty poor performances arise from some of the best athletes in the world. Same with basketball, same thing as sport, and the same with professional gambling too. Jesse, I'm a Cincinnati Bengals fan. <laughs> the last two or three years has been a, a mirror. And, and we lost our franchise quarterback this year. So I, I'm used to bad quarterback play out of, you know, and, and, and things like that. So, but, but I love what you said there. It, it, it is no quarterback gets under center. I don't care if, if in, in, and especially maybe even a backup, Let, let's take that to a backup role. Your backup quarterback is one play away from being your starter. One play in the NFL, the one play. And they've always got to have that mindset of being prepared and being ready. They study the game plan every week just as much as the starter does. And you're exactly right. If, if Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, if Tom Brady during the week said, you know what, I got 20 years, I got six Super Bowls, I'm good, man. I'm not going to study film this week. I'm going to go hang out with my kids or – I'm going to go just just veg out for a little bit. I haven't had pizza in a while. He would lose that edge that made him the greatest quarterback of all time. It's in his preparation. How important is it to get people past reasonable preparation? Because I think what you're hitting on there is some people will say, well, I got ready for this meeting. I just looked over my notes 15 minutes beforehand. Or... You know, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm allowing other people to do things for me that I should be doing for myself as preparation. How do you get your clients and people you work with past reasonable preparation to perfect preparation? Yeah, I think there's one thing, you know, as we use Tom Brady as an example that he does exceptionally well is Tom Brady's not playing or performing for anyone else. He's playing and performing for himself. Some, some mission, some cause, some purpose that's bigger than him. If Tom Brady based his satisfaction with football and his, his performance on what other people thought of him, he would have given it up a long time ago because in addition to being one of the greatest, if not the greatest quarterback of all time, he's probably been one of the most hated. He's been on a team that's consistently one of the most hated. And if you're playing for a game for to be loved, he's failing miserably. And so if that was his metric that he was using to qualify a sense of accomplishment, purpose, fulfillment, whatever it is, he'd be in big, he'd be in big trouble. When we're looking at that preparation piece, you know, preparation is an interesting thing. I think it was, it was the Pablo Picasso story comes to mind where Pablo Picasso was in a cafe somewhere over in Paris and he's doodling on a napkin and a lady observes Pablo Picasso, the Picasso doodling on a napkin. And she looks over at him and he's getting up and getting ready to leave. And he's crumpling the napkin up, getting ready to throw it away. And she says, Mr. Picasso, I just, I, I couldn't help but notice what you're doing there. Can I have that napkin? And she said, it would just be such an honor to have an original work like you. And he said, well, yeah, absolutely. And she goes to take the napkin and he holds it. And he said, well, my dear lady, that will be 10,000 francs. 
And she said, 10,000 francs, Mr. Picasso, you know, it's just, you're scribbling on it. You're wadding up, you're throwing in the garbage. It took you five seconds to do that. And Picasso looks at her and says, my dear lady, it took me 20 years to be able to do that five seconds. Preparation is an interesting thing because a lot of times people will be caught behind and we try to over-prepare and compensate for the lifetime of under-preparedness. I'm a big believer in that we should always be preparing now for what that goal is in the future. So that way, when the time comes to have that opportunity, we're already ready. Before I did my TED Talk, I visualized and thought probably every day for almost four or five years consistently about standing in the red circle giving a TED Talk. So much so that when I actually stood in the red circle and gave the talk, it was familiar. It wasn't like this huge shock to the system. It was more of like this emotional experience of this long withheld dream. Most people will do it backwards as they think, well, why should I start preparing now because the opportunity hasn't shown up? Well, you should stop preparing now because with, if and when the opportunity does show up, you want to be ready for it. Because if you're not, the person who has been preparing is going to win. Now, with that being said, there's also, I think, a finite amount of time where those who have already been preparing and they've done a lifetime of preparation like a Tom Brady, he is going to be so attuned to his levels of performance yeah. that then you're just going to be able to hone in and say, what are you feeling? How are you feeling? What's, what needs to be adjusted there? Because you're, you're dealing, it's the same as somebody who's driving a high-performance car in like a racing circuit. They're going to be able to tell just if the tires are a little low or if there's a little bit drag or something like that. Based solely on having done it so many times, you start to get more of an intuitive feeling. So as your preparation level increases over time, your intuitive feeling, I think, also increases too. And now you're being able to hone into more gut responses. And you'll hear people talk about go by feel or, or athletes will talk about being in flow. It's not that they over-prepared or they did anything extra. It's just in those days, they were so dialed in to what was going on. They could just trust their body and their brain, that part of their brain that's not conscious but more unconscious, to just take over. And they almost, they're a participant yeah. in it, but they're almost observing it at the same time too. Well, Jesse, a couple of things that came to mind. I love what you said there about preparation. So I've done live radio in a fill-in role. I have a friend of mine that, that he, he does the introduction to this podcast. He's done live radio every morning, 6 to 9 a.m. for almost 20 years. When I fill in for him, if I'm riding around in the car, I'll marinate on the stories of the day and kind of get a thought in mind and kind of practice saying those things for five or 10 minutes to kind of get a general idea of, okay, how does it sound? How do I want to get this thought processed? That way at 6.04, when I sit in that seat and I go live, I'm ready. Yeah, I, I'm ready. And I said this for years that, you know, people in, in our church, I sang in the choir. People said, well, you don't take practice seriously. I said, but you don't understand. I've had 10 hours in the car practicing my part when nobody was around, singing these songs when nobody was around, getting in front of my keyboard and, and when nobody was around. And working this stuff out in my head to where when I got there, I was ready to go. And, and, and I love what you said about the intuitive feeling because now at 48 years old, if I would go back and tell my 28-year-old self anything, I would say, you know what? All those things you've done that you thought were throwaway exercises were preparing you for this moment. Yeah. And, and you just and, – and, and giving the TED Talk like you talked about. I've never given a TED Talk. 
But for me, I always feel like that, that no matter what the situation is, if somebody puts me on the spot, I have to be ready to go. And it's the same thing is, is that intuitive feeling of, okay, yeah. And, and I'll share with you real quick. I don't mean to dive off on a tangent. I'll share with you real quick. Um, my wife's grandfather passed away about a month ago. He was almost 99 years old. We had service. I told my wife, I said, let's plan out service. We had to do it at the graveside because of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. The minister that was supposed to deliver the main eulogy, it was going to be short, but he was going to have a five to 10 minute part in the service. He couldn't make it last minute. And I looked at my wife and I said, we're good. No problem. And so I grabbed my phone real quick. I had something in mind already. And at that part of the service, I just stepped up and gave those words. I knew what I was going to say six years ago, seven years ago, when he first approached me and said, I want you to say something at my funeral. I had been marinating on this thought all that time. To your point about it being intuitive, let me ask this question before we pivot and tell your story. What's the one piece of advice that you would give someone to work on their intuition and develop their intuition? Hmm, that's a great question. We tried, Jesse. I, I really, I really did try, man. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. I would, I would, you know, honest to God, for me, one of the best exercises I do to develop intuition is playing poker. It's playing poker because what you have is you have you have conscious mind, unconscious mind, right? Our, yeah. our conscious mind has this finite cap- capability of making, of assessing information. It's taking in a little bit of information available, whereas our unconscious mind is taking in hundreds of times more information in a given mode through sensory input. Well, and, and let me let me jump in there if you don't mind, because here's the thing. you, you We just talked about it with, with social media engagement. We're constantly, even as we're scrolling through our feed, to your point, we're taking in things subconsciously that we don't, we're not aware we're taking in. Is that an accurate statement? I, I And go with that. I, I just wanted to kind of extrapolate a little more conversation out of that because that was really brilliant what you just said there. Yeah, whether it's social media, whether it's our commutes to work, whether it's we're watching the news, you go on any of the major cable news networks. Every single color scheme, how they have the ticker placed, the graphs they use, the way they have the COVID tickers, all those things are designed to elicit an emotional response from us, primarily being processed by our unconscious mind. And when you're playing something like poker and you're having to make you know, decisions in a very fast and often critical way, you have to, if you try to think it through too much, you'll often end up making the incorrect decision. But if you start to really train yourself to listen to your gut, go with that feel, more often than not, you end up making the correct decision. So it doesn't have to be poker. It could be something like chess. The Queen's Gambit is a very popular show right now. And it's, I was reading how it invigorated the fun in chess. And there's millions of people playing chess for the first time. Again, a great example of it, because a lot of times in chess, the stereotype is you see people thinking and really massaging their brains and trying to work it out. But what you also see in that, in that movie that series is people playing speed chess, where you don't have as much time to think. You're just having to make instinctual plays. So any sort of game like that, where there's some strategy involved, is a great way to develop intuition. Other things like, you know, taking a different route to work. Sometimes you just feel like you should turn left instead of right. Anytime you start to get those feelings where it seems kind of peculiar, it's not something you're thinking, just start practicing going with that. 
Because what will start to happen is over time, you start to develop a sense of comfort and trusting that inner guidance, trusting that inner voice. And all of us have had an experience before where we just had a feeling, whether it was we should pick up the phone and call someone, whether it was we should turn left instead of right, or we should do something that seems so out of the norm, but whatever reason we trusted in that and we did it, and there was a favorable outcome. Yeah. And we also have an example in our life where we had that feeling, we didn't listen to it, and the outcome was unfavorable. So the evidence is there for us. And now it's just about practicing, putting ourselves in positions where we can start to practice and train that muscle just like any other muscle. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you, as a business owner, can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. That is so good. And I love what you said there about altering a routine because again, um, habits are very quickly developed and very difficultly broken. Because again, it, it's, it's, it's telling the mind, it's giving the mind new information that's counterintuitive to the information that it's already been processed and conditioned to, to take in. And so I, I love that. And, and, and Jesse, here's what I would say the challenge is for folks. And, and I'm going to bring it back to social media engagement. And I love where, where the, our conversation started. I think it's so on point and relevant is that people will say, if I back away from social media, I cannot build my platform. And I'm seeing this a lot on, especially a platform like Twitter, where a lot of people will say, well, Twitter is censoring certain people and things like that, but they're tweeting out that message. So in other words, their platform is far more important to them than their principles, which is counterintuitive. And to, to really do things against the grain, you're going to have to, to be willing to give up some things. To your point, taking a different route when the route you've always taken is this, to, to train your mind to go in a different direction. If you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always got. And if platform is more important to you than principle, then you're going to sacrifice principle every time for platform. And so, yeah, I love, and I didn't mean to to, to ramble on there. I just... What you said was so insightful there about telling your, giving your brain different messaging and doing different things that are counterintuitive to build your intuition. I love that. That is, man, I want to keep going there, but I want to get into your story. Your story is really cool. And so take us back as far as you want to take us from point A all the way back. You go back as far as you want to go. I mean, in utero, if you can remember it, I mean, you know, some people are, you know, some people can, but I, I, I'm thinking about that joke on the office where they asked Dwight about how far back was his memory. And he said, 
I just remember being in a warm place. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my goodness. Jesse, take me back as far, man, as you want to go back in your story. Tell your yeah. tell your story. You know, Brian, I'll take us back just three minutes ago because you said something that's worth it's bare examining about what it is to go against the grain. And I think for many in 2020, going against the grain is living and acting in alignment with your values. Many companies, many organizations have core values written and proudly displayed on their wall and they're nice, fancy, feel-good words. And when you start to look at them, many find themselves living out of alignment with them. And oftentimes smaller businesses aren't even aware of what those would be because they're too busy focusing on the other things. Understandably so, when we get into business, we're not necessarily being as conscious or intentional about things like that. We're trying to think of how, here's my product, here's my service, how do I get it out there? How do I get customers and clients? Because I need to pay the bills. Understandably so. What ends up happening inevitably is, you know, great examples is we can look at like the airline industry through all this, right? Yeah. Airline industry has long, especially the United States carriers, has long been accepted that customer service is not high on their priority list. And they are going to look for any and every opportunity to nickel and dime their customers, even their most loyal ones, and tacking on fees, whether it's baggage fees, change fees, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, COVID happens, people stop flying, the airlines get hammered, and what do they do? All of a sudden, they start to come out and say, you know what, we're, we're no change fees anymore. No problem, you can change whenever you want. We're going to pull away those baggage fees. We're rolling back fees that we have, and we're never going to put them back in again. You think about those kinds of things, right? Now, it's you know, all of us that are on the outside looking in, we see it as kind of the ruse that it is, but imagine if the airlines lived in such alignment with their values from day one. What kind of customer loyalty that would inspire? Yeah. What kind of brand loyalty that would inspire? You see a mass flock of people going to Tesla because Tesla inevitably stands for something different, something unorthodox, something that's, and it, and it becomes an expression of who you are. Jesse, you know what it is? You know what it is? It, it is, it is those companies have a contrarian mindset. They are not, they are not beholden to their industry norms and standards. They're not beholden to what conventional wisdom says they need, how they need to run their business and what they need to do inside their business. You mentioned the airline industry. That's a perfect example. I was thinking as you were saying that, I'm like, that is so good. Look at Southwest Airlines. Southwest forever has done things differently. They, have, they were an airline disruptor 40 years ago in an industry where you know the 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 big boys had always done what they'd always done and southwest has survived this beautifully their ceo went ahead and took a pay cut well ahead he he saw that handwriting on the wall and said look i'm taking a pay cut i'm not we're going to put our employees first we're going to put our travelers first to your point a, mi a minute ago about living those core values instead of having them on the wall and going yeah that's nice if we ever, you know, in case of in case of emergency, let's break glass on these core values just in case we have to pull them out and actually yeah. have to use them. And I love what you said. I had to 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 jump in there because what you were, let's pull a little more conversation out of that. I, I let's stay there for just a minute. Yeah, you could look at even as an example. So over here in in California, In and Out is is well known, and people will when they make their 
trips love to, in and out love right? in so and out yeah. there's a pilgrimage that happens folks who current travel to california now i think you have some in and outs in arizona and nevada at least in las vegas people make pilgrimages to there it's it's right up there with disneyland as their must visit i went to one in dallas like i actually i went oh, twice yeah i was in dallas traveling and had some free time and i'm like i don't care what else is around here i'm getting an in and out burger yeah, and, and think about what In-N-Out has done. In a time when McDonald's, their menu is literally probably as long and detailed as a Denny's now, In-N-Out has stayed with their core things. You got a burger, you got some fries, you get a double burger, you get some extra fries, you get these drinks, a shake, and now you can get a protein style or an animal style, whatever it is, and with their burgers. But they haven't deviated much with that. And what you get with In-N-Out, at least in the In-N-Outs I passed in Southern California, is pretty much any time they open from, I think they open at 11 a.m. until when they close at maybe, say, 11 p.m., there's a line. There's a line out the door around the drive-in, and people are loyally lining up for In-N-Out Burger. Now, is it the best burger in the world? Uh, I don't know. It's good. A lot of, it's good, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people say it will, but people will go consistently over, out of their way to go to an In-N-Out Burger because of what it represents. And you'll hey, hear Jesse consistently do. I'll tell you my, my in and out. I went to an in and out in Dallas last year in the, in the Metro Dallas area. I got there at lunchtime again, to your point, extremely busy, but the dining room was not that crowded. A lot of people were just getting it to go and moving on with their day. I placed my order. They said, it'll be a few minutes. We're making it to order. I had someone who came out to my table and said, Hey, we're working on your order. Is there anything we can do for you while you're here? It's a fast food restaurant. Yeah. I didn't expect anyone to come to my table and go, hey, we're making the food for you. Is there anything else we can get you while you're waiting? And 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 I was like, yeah, you know, there were two or three people getting iced tea. I said, I was going to get some iced tea in a minute. And the guy said, I'll grab you an iced tea. Here you go. I'll, I'll just get it for you. That, to your point, that is, that made it, I, I still, that was a year and a half ago. I still remember that impression. And when I went through the second time later in the week, their customer service in the drive-thru was impeccable. Yep. I mean, I had a small, I was like, I didn't order this. They were like, we'll get it corrected immediately. And they did. I mean, it was, it was unbelievably good, just incredibly world-class customer service. You don't find an In-N-Out when you go in the restaurant and it's dirty. You don't find an In-N-Out where you go into the restaurant and the staff is unprofessional. You have a staff that is, arguably is a professional, some professional servers in fancy restaurants. You could go into McDonald's and you could question if that counter is safe to eat off of. You could go into a McDonald's and your shoes might stick to the floor. You could go to the McDonald's and you could have a staff there that looks like they are not too keen and nor could they care if your food turns out satisfactory or not. And that's not to harp on McDonald's at all. What it is to say is it's used in and out, in and out as an example of what it looks like when you truly live in alignment with your values. You have employees that like working there. It's highly profitable. I think they pay their, their upper management six figures starting. And yeah. the experience is consistent across every single restaurant you go to, whether it's California or Dallas, you're gonna get amazing service. It's gonna be clean, it's gonna be consistent, and it's gonna be quality every single time. And to say that, again, to your point, from a fast food place, that's insane. You just don't, what other fast food restaurant does that? And this is the power of having 
values alignment and why In-N-Out would largely be considered such a disruptor in the fast food industry and why it's taken on such a cult following of its own. And people, whether they're in Dallas or whether they're coming to California for vacation, they will go out of their way and stand in line at the In-N-Out, even though right across the street, there's a McDonald's with no line and a hamburger right there and fries right there. But the experience with In-N-Out is what people are coming for. I read an article with their CEO last year, and she said something very powerful. She said, we have been requested to go to every state in the union, West Virginia included, where I live. I mean, why wouldn't you want to come here? We're the fattest city. We're the fattest (laughs) state in America. I mean, they'd make a killing here. But the CEO said, we don't want to go so far away that we can't keep an eye on the quality what we stand for, who we are, what we do. And so we keep things at an arm's length so that we can really make sure that every new In-N-Out burger is as on point as well-established In-N-Out burgers. Again, it's a contrarian mindset. It's them deciding intentionally, Jesse, that they that they want we're going to need to do a second podcast to tell your story because I, I what we're talking about here is so good. I want to go here for just a second. Mm-hmm. When you're talking to your clients and, and people that you're coaching, how do you get them to stay aligned with their own core values and continue to be intentional? Because, the, the, and, and I want to frame the question this way and, and the, the impetus behind the question. A lot of people will try something different They'll see immediate success and they'll run in a dead sprint to do that thing that may be a little contrarian to their core values. But to your point about companies in this pandemic wanting to keep that level of success or keep that that high rate of success going, or they've noticed a dip in sales, so they've got to bring back some of those core values that they had kind of pushed to the side. How do you keep your clients grounded to stay focused and stay intentional on those core values? Yeah, you know, we can we can look at it as a metaphor kind of like this. If you're in and out and you are producing a hamburger and you have a recipe for your hamburger and it's it's X part this, Y part that, Z part this, you put it together and you're gonna produce an in and out product. That's what people come to expect. And if one day someone comes in and they says, gosh, you know, hey guys, I I have this really great idea that we should just test out today. And and instead of putting X part, Y part, Z part, we should do X. Let's leave out the Y because I hear B is working so much better in some places and then we'll add in the Z and then we'll we'll just put it out there and see what happens. Inevitably, once you start pulling yourself away from what created the initial success, what made you who you are, you are in effect becoming something that you're not, right? People are buying the brand and what the brand is and what it represents. They're not buying the wild ideas or necessarily anything else. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't evolve and, and grow in different ways, but you still have to be remain connected to that core because inevitably most of us start with an idea about that we have, we have something that we can do, something that we can offer that will make some sort of positive difference in the lives of someone else And that we can do that a little bit better than anyone else, or maybe no one's doing it yet. But once we start to slip away from that, 
I think is where you start to see that people start to fall out of alignment and then you inevitably see problems with that. So how do I keep people in alignment with that? First of all, you have to have values, clarity. That, that's critical. We can't stay in alignment with something we're not clear on. And most people will fall so easily out of alignment because we don't have clarity on what it is we're aligned to. The second thing is, is you have to create some sort of framework, success framework that people can operate in that puts the overall mission ahead of the individual. And this is really, really critical because for most of us, we do it reverse, especially in those moments of temptation, because human beings were creatures of comfort. Inevitably, at the core of what we're doing, we're always either trying to avoid pain or gain pleasure. And the temptation of pleasure, you know, cash up front, uh, you know, uh, eating the Snickers bar when you're trying to lose weight, whatever that is, it is the most, I would say, addictive and intoxicating drug there is. Yeah. And what we have to do is when we're creating a framework that's mission oriented, what that means is, is we're having to constantly, for the most part, delaying pleasure in the short term because we're holding belief in the long term. The long term yeah. being that if we go back to any of our metaphors we used earlier, like a chess metaphor, I will sacrifice these key pieces and give away the instant gratification of taking some pieces early on because the bigger mission is winning the game. And in sacrificing these key pieces, I'm going to position my opponent in such a way where I'm going to be able to end up capturing winning the game. Most people will go in and they see those initial pieces and they just say, oh, there it is. I'll grab it. Most people will go into a sport and say, okay, well, I've been working out for two days. Now I feel really good. I'm going to go run. I've run a mile in the last two days. I'm going to run 10 miles a day. And then they come back. They're sore. They hurt. They've injured something. They will, oh, well, this running thing just isn't for me. Well, it's not that it isn't for you. It's that you took that instant, you took that initial pleasure and you thought that you could multiply it exponentially by just doing more. It doesn't work that way. Or you try to throw batting practice to your son's high school baseball team having not pitched competitively in 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I could put 10 bucks. I could predict, correctly predict how that worked out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. exactly. Well, it's, good. it's a good thing one of our coaches was also an orthopedic surgeon. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, that was a good thing for us. But that's, you know, Brian, that's the essence of being intentional, right? Intentionality is about staying mission alignment. Intentionality is not about going off of impulse and, and, sub, and subjecting yourself to that need for instant pleasure or an instant approval or to compare ourselves or get that satisfaction. It's mission alignment. You'll hear the great athletes going full circle back to football. You'll hear the great athletes in post-game conferences, the one, the athletes that we really come to celebrate as the greats. When they come in the interviewer, the person's asking them and saying, gosh, you did such an incredible performance. What do they always do? They bring it back to their team. Yeah, we did so great. We did so well. There's this famous Kobe Bryant interview when one of the last times he's in the finals and they just won a really big game. I think it was, they had lost maybe the first one, won the second game. Kobe's deadpan. He just looks, he looks angry, almost PO'd. Yeah. And the interviewer is asking him, they said, why aren't you happy? Shouldn't you be celebrating? You just won the game. Then he looks at him and says, we got three more games to win. What is there to celebrate right now? Right. That's somebody who's laser mission focused. Yeah. There's no celebration until you've accomplished the goal because people at that level know that if you celebrate prematurely, you let your guard down, you're getting, you're getting out of alignment with your focus. You're getting offset track with mission driven and that inevitably is where you have calamity happens well and 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 kobe was still around 
Kobe was still around to see the Golden State Warriors blow a three games to one lead in the NBA Finals in 2016 to LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like they went back, you know, they were going back. Two of the last three games were in Oakland, and that's where game seven was. And, and, and of course, LeBron makes arguably the, the greatest defensive play I've ever seen in a basketball game, blocking Andre Iguodala coming from three-quarter court to, to block a layup. And then Kyrie Irving hitting that, that three, you know, with 11 seconds to go to put them ahead. And, and so, again, it's, it's mission alignment. Jesse, a couple quick questions here. Let, let's go here. I, I'll save this one for, for the sake of time. I want you to give folks your biggest piece of intentional encouragement right now, whether they're a small business owner listening to this podcast, a salesperson, a leader, what's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement right now to folks? Be in the moment. You know, if one thing 2020 has really brought to the focus for all of us, it is that there is really truly nothing promised for most of us, literally everything that we had familiar or was at least recognizable prior to 2020 has changed to some degree. How we communicate, how we interact with one another, even being able to go up and just hug the people in our lives that have been loved ones for a long time. We're often hesitating on if that's even okay, let alone shaking a hand. Yeah. 2020 has made it abundantly clear that nothing is promised beyond right now. Yet so many of us live obsessing over what happened yesterday or worrying over what might happen tomorrow. This moment is all we have. And each and every one of us know someone or know someone that knows someone that woke up today and woke up one day, treated it like any other day, and they never lived to see the end of the day because something happened. And while we don't think, and the odds are in our favor that we will make it to tomorrow, if you can embrace that psychology, that this moment is all that matters, it is so transformative because what you start to treat your moments as, as the most precious, precious currency out there. Just the same as you wouldn't allow a precious gem, a diamond to just be tossed away aside, you treat it with great care and reverence. You'll start to do the same for your moments because you realize it's the most precious of all currencies and the greatest of all commodities that you possess your own time. I love that. And and I can totally relate to that. And I talk, I talk in my new book, People Buy From People, about the day I lost my dad. Talked to my dad at four o'clock the day before and, and the next morning he was gone. So yeah, I love that, man. Thank you so much. How can folks get connected with you, get in touch with you? Um, just tell, this is your time to tell folks how they can connect with you. Yeah, all the social media channels, Jesse Brizendine, you put a Google in, I'll pop up. Website is jessebrizendine.com. I think I'm Jesse Brizendine on every single social channel except for Twitter. I think it's at Jesse Briz. B-R-I-S. At Jesse Briz. Okay, I'm writing this down. That's B-R-I-S-E-N-D-I-N-E, not B-R-I-Z. You'll get somebody else. You won't get the Jesse Brizendine. But we we got him here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Jesse, what a blast, man. This has been great. Um, Insightful. A, A different conversation than I had intended, but but so good. So, so good. And I want to Thank you for joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thanks for having me, Brian. This has been a joy to spend the time with you. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Meads. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. And until next time, remember, everyone, 
everywhere, at any time, and any place, can be an intentional.